morning and welcome to the fifth episode of Classical Voice Canada, where we meet artists and discuss classical voice together. I'm your host, Kira Braun, and I'm so very glad you've joined us today. Today's guest is mezzo-soprano Daniela Terezia. Good morning, Daniela. It's so nice <laughs> to see you today. How are and you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Daniela joins us today on Classical Voice Canada, and we have a few questions for her. She's got a very exciting background, and it will be really interesting to learn more about Daniela's history and <laughs> vocal studies. I would love to know about your voice education. I know that you have a dual background in geology yeah. <laughs> as voice, and it would be wonderful if you could tell us what made you move into the world of voice studies after thinking that geology was something you wanted to do? You know, when I was little, I was really into dinosaurs. And so I thought, I'm going to be a paleontologist when I grew up. Huh. And I kind of didn't revisit that goal. <laughs> <laughs> Your laugh is wonderful. So, <laughs> thanks. So I was always singing and I, I had a multiple instrumental background as well. So I was, music was always there, but I also really loved nature, which of course still continues. And so I got to college, I applied to Lawrence, which my sister had gone to, and she did the double degree, which is music and science. I see. And so I thought, well, that'd be perfect for me. And then I didn't get accepted to the conservatory. Oh. <laughs> no, I said, well, okay, I'll just go and be a geologist and maybe I can audition again once I'm there. So I went ahead and I took all the classes. I took all the theory and oral skills and sight singing and everything. And I was in choir. And it wasn't until the end of my first year that I was finally accepted into the Bachelor of Arts. So it wasn't a performance major, but it was still a music major. Mm -hmm. And then I thought I was going to do geology still. <laughs> if not digging dinosaurs, then, you know, then something else every term there was a different type of geology that I was like, oh, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could uh -huh. do this. I never really found the one thing. And my senior year, actually my, my super senior year, because it's a five-year program, I went to study abroad in Amsterdam and I was like, okay, this will be my farewell to singing. And I went to the Conservatory of Amsterdam and I took all these fun like performance classes and language classes and I and at the end of it, I sang in this little studio recital, whatever. And I was like, oh, I really like performing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back, you know, it's the end of my last year at university. And I say to my geology advisor, I'm not sure I want to do geology anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had a very non-traditional route, I think, because I graduated and I had to fill in the gaps. So I was looking for programs that would help me with my languages and my performance skills. I never took any real acting classes. So I, I was just finding my way in the world and, and trying to find a teacher that I could work with as well. So no one tried to talk you out of music at the time? 
No, actually. You know, at one point in my life, I thought I was going to be an environmental defense lawyer, and I actually got talked out of that. (laughs) I think that I'm happy for you on that topic. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I would have been a very frustrated person. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So you just mentioned that you also play some instruments, and I understand that you teach as well, not only voice, but a couple of instruments. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. So I started actually on violin when I was like almost four. We went to see, I think we went to see Joshua Bell. And the next day I have a pair of chopsticks and I was pretending I was playing violin. (laughs) And my parents were like, "Hmm, maybe we should get her a violin. (laughs) (laughs) And then I, I started taking piano and then flute eventually when, you know, in school you have band. So then I played flute oh, as okay. well and, and learned viola along the way. You know, why not? <laughs> sure. You teach some of these instruments yes. as well, which is incredible. Yeah, well, that's actually, that was supposed to be my, my, um, my project this summer was to start teaching. And that kind of got uh, delayed. <laughs> so, right. so I haven't quite, I haven't quite started teaching a full studio yet. But it's funny to me because for me, someone who was always singing, I would have thought that, that singing would be like lesson that people would want singing lessons, but people actually get quite scared. Uh, Like little kids. I think it's more easy. And a lot of my friends who teach as well say this, like it's easier to ease them in on piano and then, okay, maybe they have a nice, you know, I hear it in their speaking voice or I can, I can hear their musical, then maybe let's suggest singing lessons. Maybe because that uh, singing involves the body in its fullness and a lot of <clears throat> young children are very self-conscious and they mm-hmm. might be nervous to expose themselves in that kind of a way to have to tap into yeah. a full, a full body use yeah. of your own instrument as your body wow right well, i mean i i, I totally relate because for me I, I we can talk about this later but i really struggled with performance anxiety with singing hmm. and uh, so I have I have one token singing student at the moment, and mm-hmm. I'm su- I'm very lucky because she has no problem. <laughs> she oh, has no great. problem singing in front of me. I have a lesson this afternoon, actually, and I'm so excited. It's the first one in in many many months, so it'll yeah. be over Zoom as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you have been in many interesting places through <laughs> your vocal studies. Mm-hmm. Aside from Amsterdam, where else have you studied voice? So eventually I found my way to Israel. <laughs> you know, I have my, my father is Jewish, so I have that background, but it wasn't, we weren't brought up very religiously. So I guess ab- about the time, like a year after I had graduated college, my sister and I went on one of these birthright trips, you know, to rediscover your roots in Israel. And I was looking at master's programs and the, the University of Tel Aviv has a really good opera program. Hmm. And a lot of their students... Um, kind of go back and forth with with Germany and Europe once they get out of the the studio and and not so many of them stay in Israel so I eventually found my way to Israel and I found a teacher there who's kind of my I think she was kind of what saved my voice because I was singing as a soprano and not with good technique (laughs) so I kind of found with all of my instruments that my musicality was much greater than my technical skills. 
my technical ability, I suppose. I have that a lot with singing. Like I kind of forced myself to sing things that weren't well suited to me or that I didn't quite know how to sing. And so my teacher that I found in, in Israel said, okay, let's take a step back. And she made me not sing for like a month and just do breathing exercises and, but say, but learn this music and bring it next week. And so we'd only sing when I was at her, at her place. And I think I took like two lessons a week. I'd go to her place and, and have like half an hour lesson. <laughs> but she's okay. also the one who, who said, I think maybe you're a mezzo. Right. You don't sound like a coloratura to me. <laughs> Yeah, so discovering that you're a mezzo, that's really interesting to me as well, because it's probably true that they start most young females out in the soprano repertoire, and and some of them stick there, and some don't, and it takes a very long time to recognize that perhaps you're in a different range or suited. Yeah, and it's kind of odd because I, I think it used to be that people just kind of started as mezzos because that's, that's I think it's healthier and then okay let's see if you have an extension like I remember reading about Joan Sutherland her mother was a singer and was like kind of hesitant to access her higher range so she started as a mezzo too and I mean then look what she did <laughs> yes. absolutely incredible mm-hmm So do you have an upper extension now that you've been singing for some time? Yeah, I, I can sing higher and and easier than before when I was trying to sing soprano. And my teacher describes it. She says, you know, to build a house, you have to start with the foundation and then you can go up high. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that middle. So yeah. And, and it was really a matter of tessitura because she would have me take pieces down even one step or, or, or more mm-hmm. to find where it was comfortable for me. Her philosophy is based around art song, I think, like leader. Mm-hmm. So my teacher is the, she was the head of the opera department at Tel Aviv, but I studied with her privately. So at the school, the first year you learn 30 art songs, 30 leader. And, the, and then for the, that's for your first degree. For your second degree, you learn 60, <laughs> something oh <my> like that. <laughs> I think it's something like that. She'd say, okay, you know this poem? Sing everything that everyone ever wrote about it. Okay. <laughs> I still have a massive list that I haven't finished of songs she told me to learn. <laughs> but with art song, it's slightly more acceptable to transpose. So I was able to, to find things that would fit mm. um, and be comfortable and then and then now I can be like, oh, you know what? I could probably sing that in the original key. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it really, it's just a matter of where it sits, right? If something is just at your break, it's, it's going to be very fatiguing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm. And that's something that I think every singer struggles with. I know I do. And still learning at this mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I first met you in the Opera for All master classes led yes. by Alvaro Gutierrez, and they were so much fun. Yeah, he's the best. <laughs> he's a great, great guy. Have you ever participated in a master class that has made a, a particularly lasting impression on you? And if so, what was it that you took away from that class and that you bring back over and over again as a reminder? Oh, that's, it's a really hard question because, you know, you see so many masterclasses. I mean, obviously the, the opera for all ones with Alvaro are 
are great. He, he's such a dynamic personality. And I, I feel like he's actually kind of a kindred spirit with my teacher that it's all about the body and expression and, and natural. He doesn't do things that are unnatural. And Tamar, my teacher, mm. that's really what she said. She says, you know, you should sing like you cry and how you speak and how you laugh. All the things that are natural to your voice, that's how you should sing. But I don't know, one masterclass, that's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint. I love going to masterclasses though. That's what I've missed most about being out of school is not getting to see, not just for myself, but seeing what everyone else is learning. Because yes. we all struggle with the same things. And then you see, oh, wait, they told them to do this. Maybe I'll try that. Yes. So I guess I particularly like ones that are body awareness masterclasses. I studied Alexander Technique for a while and... I really, I really appreciate people who are, who look at that and they say, oh, well, this tension in your neck, you know, if I just tell you to get rid of the tension in your neck, it's going to go somewhere else. So let's work on overall tension or, or things like yes. that, you know? Yeah. Consciousness of all of those things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like golfing. You have to remember a hundred things before you hit that ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a mentor then, somebody that has made an, a lasting impact on you or that you go back to, to, to take a lesson from again now, now and then? Tamara Hume is my, was my teacher in Israel and I haven't seen her since I left Israel, whenever that was, 2016, when I came wow. here to Canada. Okay. So, you know, I still talk to her, but I don't really have a strictly technical teacher. I was taking coachings from Bram Goldhammer, which was lovely. I met him kind of by fluke. Someone else that I met was like, oh, I'm a singer I take from Bram and you should, you should go see him. I was like, okay. I just arrived here like a week before. <laughs> wow. Well, you got hooked up with the best of the best. Yeah. Right away yeah. Uh, Bram so, is a, a mentor to me, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And I like that it's more of a like professional colleague, I, I feel, relationship that you know, we respect each other's opinions, but he really, he challenges me on the musical side of things. Mm -hmm. I haven't, honestly, I haven't seen him in a, in a while though, especially with all the, all the lockdown stuff this year, but we, I do sing in his synagogue choir. So oh, I get to see him there. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. And actually now that I'm doing a lot of things with, with Suzanne, my pianist, Suzanne Yo, I find that she's kind of my coach now for musical ideas and everything like that. So that makes sense. And yeah, you, yeah, you have a, a longer term working relationship directly with her. So you get to know each other very, very well and feel mm -hmm. super comfortable with each mm -hmm. other. That's terrific. Mm -hmm. So you knew uh, when you finished university and, and then left Israel and came <clears> to Canada, it was singing that you really wanted to pursue and, and nothing else. And you found your way in pretty quickly to some <laughs> of the, the performance groups, right? It was yeah. Toronto yeah. City Opera and you've done a few things with them. Mm -hmm. I first started doing things with Opera by Request. So I, I okay. actually did my, my very first opera with them. And then um, the TCO, I sang the Marcellina for them in... Mm -hmm in Nazi de Figaro a couple of years back. So that was my first like stage thing. So I'd always, you know, while I was in Israel and before that, and, and since then I do a lot of solo recitals, but it's not necessarily opera rep. I guess I, I'm more comfortable in the recital setting, but I really love, 
I do love doing operas and, and just being challenged in a different way. And you get to meet different people too. So I enjoy that. Yes, absolutely. So that was one of my next questions. What is your favorite type of classical voice repertoire? <laughs> and I guess it's art song. Yeah, I, th I think it's arts. I mean, I am kind of one of these people that loves everything. I haven't met a song that I don't like yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't met a piece of music that I don't like yet. Art song I'm, I'm the most comfortable with because I feel like, I mean, I studied it for quite a few years with Tamara and I just feel like I'm able to connect with the pieces more, more authentically even. Opera to me is larger than life, but art song is, is life. It's, it's oh, more yes. intimate and especially with the leader that a lot of them were designed to be in house concerts, you know, where the composer would play the piano, maybe even sing. And they'd be up there with their, with their little book of words and, and they'd sing to you. I kind of like that setting. I've done a couple house concerts with Suzanne and they're just really fun. And I like being able to talk to my audience. And yes. you can't, I mean, I guess when you're doing opera, obviously you're talking to your audience that way. But I like to be like, okay, this is about this composer and he did all these crazy things in his life. And, you know, he was in a love triangle with this person. And <laughs> the, the fun behind the scenes things that you don't really get in a concert program. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So when you're learning a new piece, do you have a methodology or an approach to follow in order to learn a new piece of music? Technically, yes. I it used to be much more rigid and then I had to start learning things much faster. One of my church gigs is the Roman Catholic Church and they still do the high mass in Latin. So it's all Renaissance rep and we churn it out, you know, every week you're learning new stuff and then oh, you yes. sing it an hour later. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, we get sent it ahead of time, but mm. <laughs> so I had to get really fast with learning. So, but with a piece, I always start at the, the end. Oh, because start with the last phrase and then you go back a phrase and then sing those two phrases and then go back three phrases and then sing those three. So by the time you get to the beginning, it's basically memorized. And I guess I, I always write the translation in first. But I also really, I like to conduct myself uh, when I'm singing and it just, I, I guess I'm more of a kinesthetic learner as well. So it just helps me to, I guess, to remember, especially for opera and like recitative that you need to know what beats you're coming in on and not just like, <laughs> oh, I wait for this chord in the piano. Oh, wait, I've lost count, you know? Right. <laughs> and when I first got here, actually, I was singing a John Adams piece for auditions, which honestly was way too long to do for auditions, but it was really hard because he has all these time changes. And if I hadn't conducted myself learning it, and also I learned it without a piano because I was like in an Airbnb somewhere. <laughs> if I hadn't learned it conducting myself, I don't, I would not have been able to sing it, I think. <laughs> I know that there are certain body movements that we do with our arms or certain gestures that help <laughs> us sing in a certain way or deliver our voice a certain way, but conducting oneself is, that's something new that, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I totally get it, can be very, very beneficial. Yeah, oh. I, I had a coach in Cincinnati. I lived there for a couple of years and she was at the, the University of Cincinnati 
And she, she said, okay, well, don't just stand there, you know, do something with your arms. And she was like, okay, conduct yourself. And she always, she had this big mirror in her room and she said, okay, but look at your teacher. And she would point to the mirror. <laughs> and it's really hard to sing in front of a mirror at first, you know, really actually making on eye contact with yourself when you're singing. It's very unnerving at first, but right. a great right. way to learn. <laughs> I remember being called out once during rehearsals for an opera where I was actually conducting myself as well and the and the artistic director said you have to stop doing that because <laughs> you're you know yes you you know your music and everything but that's not why you're up on stage here to conduct <laughs> so then you have to you have to break away from that at some point as well mm -hmm. in performance mm -hmm. So you have some linguistic background in school as well. What other languages do you speak fluently? And tell us what you have noticed when you go to sing in those languages. Is there a difference? Hmm. I'm actually only probably fluent in English, but I've studied kind of the usual suspects of Italian, French, German is actually at the bottom of my comprehension. <laughs> I have kind of tourist German, you know, like ah, um, airport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I, that's part of what I love about singing is getting to sing in different languages. So I also did the Greek songs that, that you sang, the Ravel's oh. Greek songs. I was learning them in French. And then Tamara said, oh, but I have a Greek student who could teach you Greek. Why don't you sing them in Greek? I was like, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, Greek, a little bit of Hebrew, some in Russian, which is really fun. And Tagalog, actually, because my mom is Filipina. And in undergrad, I did a project that was on the Filipino art song. So I learned a whole recital in Tagalog, which the pronunciation is like a Romance language. It's just pure vowels. But it's funny because the languages that I'm least familiar with, I think I express myself better. French sometimes, because I feel the most comfortable speaking French, but sometimes, you know, you don't pronounce things as well as you should when it's a language you know. <laughs> and German, I really make an effort to pronounce things, or even Russian, you know, you, you really want to, to sound like you're a native speaker. So yeah. I guess in terms of vowel placement, Russian is hard because it has all those dark vowels, you know, and it's so far back, but you can't do that when you're singing. So you kind of have to do it a little superficially. But I guess most of the languages that I've sung in are still pure vowels or at least pure vowels making diphthongs. So yeah. it's not so hard. Actually, my least favorite language to sing in is English. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, and we still need to take vocal diction classes in English. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of things we, we take for granted, oh, because we speak the language that we should be able to sing in it and be clear, but English is one of the most difficult languages. It's so hard. Get across. Yeah. I'm very pleased that I learn it, learned it as my first language. <laughs> we all wish to reach our audiences and to connect with them, and I think that you have done a wonderful job of that. I ask most of my guests what they think about making classical vocal music more accessible. Mm -hmm. And you, along with pianist Suzanne Yeo, have recently launched a series of recitals and a CD, as I understand it, called The Eternal Feminine. 
and more recently, the Art Song podcast that honors the sometimes unheralded or even lost works of women composers and poets and artists. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is such an important light to shine on this industry yeah. that has focused for so long on contributions made by men. <laughs> right. Tell us a bit about your inspiration for the recital series and about your podcast. So the Eternal Feminine, I started, I did my first recital in 2017. It was kind of a protest because I was sick of doing auditions and not really getting to sing properly you know like you, you you get ready for an audition the same way you do for a concert but you don't get applause <laughs> <laughs> I was so depressed about it all and I was just like I just want to sing like why did I come to Canada <laughs> so so I decided to do a recital and I guess I don't know where the inspiration came up. I guess Tamar was always very, she was the one who introduced me to Alma Mahler's music, for example. She was like, yes, find her. And, and I guess that kind of is what I built my concert around. And then I thought, well, maybe I could find other women composers writing about women experiences. And honestly, the first recital and even the second one still had male composers because I was also basing it around the character Mignon and she's one of these elusive characters that everyone is obsessed with. When Goethe wrote this poem everyone wrote a piece or a set to Mignon's poetry mm. and I was just fascinated like why is everyone so intrigued by her but her story really spoke to me because here I was traveling around the world, trying to find my voice, trying to find my home. And that's exactly what Mignon sings about, that she's an orphan and she has these memories of, of a, a place. She's dreaming of Italy and she doesn't know where it is, but she feels she wants to be there. And so all throughout the Villa Meister is the saga, or I guess the epic poem is what it's called. So all throughout the poem, you know, she's, she's yearning to find her place. And at the end of it all, she, I think she dies in the original. They changed it in the opera because it was too sad for the French. Oh. <laughs> you know, one of those stories where they're like, oh, but, but Eurydice can die at the end. So just make it happy. <laughs> this is comic opera. So at the end of her story, she just says, I'm leaving it all behind. I, I've had this life full of sorrow and I'm just transformed and just gives herself to God. And mm. I guess the story just really spoke to me. So I did one song for each of her poems by a different composer in the first Eternal Feminine. That's why we had male composers in the first one. <laughs> and I also did the, you know, Chanson de Bilitis by Debussy because that was such a, that's such a crazy thing to think about oh, here's this fantastical woman from Greece, but actually the French poet who wrote it was a man. So it's like a, a double layer of fantasy. Ah. So, yeah, so I just, you know, I wanted to think of, of different aspects of a woman's life from a woman's perspective. And for the next Eternal Feminine concert, we had this set of pieces by Laurie Leitman, who is an American composer, 
that my sister had given me because I think she's saying it with someone. She's like, I think you might like this. And then I didn't look at it for like five years. <laughs> so I said, maybe I should look at this again. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. It's a, it's a woman poet, uh, Sarah Teasdale, who was also American, and then a woman composer. And everything in it, it's just, it, it's so perfect for our concert. So we did four of the five for the second Eternal Feminine. And that's what's also on our CD. And we were very pleased because Lori Lightman said, oh, yes, please put it on your CD and didn't charge us anything. She's very, she's very generous. <laughs> and Suzanne and I had always kind of talked about, wouldn't it be fun to do a podcast sometime and we could highlight all these cool leader that we sing and that we perform. And then the lockdown happened this summer and we said, well, <laughs> we can't do any real concerts. So let's look at the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. So we decided let's just do women composers and poets and we're learning so much. And it's, it's really interesting because every person that we chose, it's becoming like not just their story, but all the people, all the different lives that they touched in turn, you know, our first episode was about Pauline Viardot and she kind of knew everyone. Like she had, she had connections with everyone. And this weekend, we're, our episode is about Alma Mahler, and she was another one of these people. They call her the, women that, the woman that touched four arts because she was married to someone in every different field or had an affair with someone in, in a different field, you know? Really? So, uh, yeah, so, so it's really interesting just to see the connections as well as their musical talent. Like, these women were extremely talented and for one reason or another, maybe didn't get the recognition that they deserved. In a couple of weeks, we'll be doing Fanny Mendelssohn. And she's yes. one of these people like she, her father thought that she was going to be the musical talent. But then he was like, oh, but you can't, you can't be a musician. That's not fitting for a woman. So a bunch of her pieces got published under her, her brother's name. It's all, it's all part of the changing world that we live in, I guess, that just women and, and people are getting recognized for for their contributions. Yes, and mm -hmm. it's also really timely along with the Me Too movement. We think of women only as sexual beings and not as contributors or artists or people with intellect. And mm -hmm. so to mm -hmm. shine a light on those things at this time in history is, is extremely important. And I think really beneficial for young people to tap into and learn about when we've, we've glossed over these ladies for all of history. They're not yeah. part of the canon. Right. So, yeah, let's, let's hear about it. I'm, I'm excited to hear mm -hmm. your next podcast. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And some of these women I had never heard about before, you know, and, and our very last one will be about Amos Calverly, who's, who actually lived here in Oakville. Well, where I live in Oakville. So I'm, I'm trying to see if I can pull some strings. She still has a living relative to see if maybe I could talk to her, but to get back to your original question, this is us trying to bring the classical genre, or at least the art song genre, to a wider audience. I wasn't that into podcasts before because I prefer to, to see people speaking. It's hard for me to listen to people speaking. <laughs> but it's like, it's so everyone has a podcast now, you know? <laughs> So, I mean, it's a fitting time, I guess, to, to be exploring this new, this new medium. It's really great and, and that it's so accessible that anyone can, you know, just pick up their phone and listen and 
you know, we're showcasing just one piece per, per week for each creator. Mm-hmm. But hopefully it will just pique people's interests and they'll, they'll start thinking or start saying, oh, well, I, you know, that wasn't too scary. Maybe I'll listen to that too. And not to say anything against opera, but sometimes when I tell people I'm a classical singer, all they think of is opera. Yes. And you're like, well, it's like opera <laughs> in that it's not pop. <laughs> <laughs> And it's perhaps a little more accessible in the sense of a house concert, a salon event mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you are in interacting directly with your audience. You're a little more intimate, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And there's not a huge expense to putting together an art song recital or even a few recordings. And maybe more people would tend to understand it or, or want to listen to that and not feel like, they don't belong in that area. A lot of people mm-hmm. are intimidated by opera because of that. And it's also really interesting to learn that art song didn't stop being created 150 years ago. There are still people writing art song today and mm-hmm. some fantastic female composers are being brought to light. So yeah, that's terrific too, that you've, you've got some modern works in there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, originally we had applied for the micro grant that the Canada Arts Council was offering. <laughs> so we, we restricted ourselves to th- people who were in the public domain, but we didn't get the grant, so we can do whatever we want. <laughs> you know? So I, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, down the road that we can interview Laurie Lightman. I think it'd be really fun to talk to her about her pieces and yeah. And, and just, and showcase there's lots of Canadian art song composers and, and women composers. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to, you know, maybe that would be our second series on the Art Song Podcast. Fantastic. So, Daniela, you mentioned opera for all. You told us a little bit about your experience there. What's happening right now with opera for all and 2020 pandemic plan? Yeah, <laughs> it's all up in the air for choirs, isn't it? But I, I have a very exciting project with my friends that is kind of co-sponsored by Opera for All, and we're calling it Divas for Hire. Huh. So, <laughs> so three of my friends, um, Suzanne Yo is the pianist, and then Stephanie DeShantis and Nicole Dubinsky, who are both sopranos, oh. we created a group called Opera Sustenida, and it's Sustenida is all of our names squished together. <laughs> So we, we were trying to put on a virtual concert um, and we were applying for a grant for this. And, and then when the grant didn't come through, we, we reevaluated things and uh, what we're going to create is actually something even cooler. So Stephanie was, was singing with Brat Opera this summer and they had to do Don Giovanni completely virtually. So everyone's recording from home, video and audio and sending it in and it's edited, but they did a really great job. Their director really got the virtual medium. And so she'd have them actually looking as if they're looking at the person or, you know, even looking down at people or up at people and walking by and things like this. So Stephanie learned a lot there and she's bringing it to our concert. It's called Divas for Hire because it's kind of an interactive with our audience with audience participation. So when you buy a ticket, then you get to vote on which of our pieces we're going to sing. And, and Suzanne and I had a lot of fun coming up with descriptions for each piece in a kind of non-traditional way. So 
Oh, let's see if I can give you an example. I think for like Osole Mio, it's like, you are my sunshine, Italian style. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, everyone knows Osole Mio, but anyway. So we wanted to bring it into people's homes and in a more a more familiar fashion, you know, taking it out of the concert halls and off this kind of pedestal of opera and sort of elite and sort of hard to understand and what are they saying anyway. So we have the audience gets to vote on the pieces. We also have a little section that's called Miscast, which uh, there's a musical theater kind of platform called Miscast. And the premise is that you show up and you're the only one who can sing this piece, even though it's completely wrong for you. You know, say oh, no. you're, a, you're a man and it's supposed to be sung by a woman or you're 50 and it's supposed to be sung by a six-year-old or something like that. <laughs> my favorite one was they did On My Own from Les Miserables and it was like 10 people singing it. So you're not really on your no. own, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really wanted us to do that too. And with the whole public domain issue, that was a way that we could do fun songs that are still, they're still in public domain, they're still opera. So for instance, Nicole, one of her songs is singing La Donne Mobile. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. And for me, one of my songs is Nessun Dorma, of course. Oh. <laughs> so we're going to create videos based on people's votes and then it's not just going to be a live stream of the concert. We're also having Q&A with our, like a live Q&A session with our audience. So I'm really excited, actually. I think it's going to be really cool. And that's happening in September. Oh, so, that, that's yeah. so fun. I'm definitely yeah. tuning in for that. What a yeah, great idea. Thank you. And it, and it truly is a collaboration, you know. We're all having to step up our game, you know. We have to be our own makeup artists and lighting artists. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Fantastic. And yeah, thank you. Please give my best to, to Stephanie and to Nicole as well. And I, I will love to invite them to speak on the podcast in, in future weeks. So I'm going to reach out to them as well. Perfect. Nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thank super. you. Yeah. So you're going to provide us with a recording for today's podcast. Is it yes. a Pauline Viardot work? Mm -hmm. It is. So it's called Hi Luli, which doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like a tra-la-la, you know, it's like a, a nonsense thing. But it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful little, little snippet of a piece. And Viardot wrote a lot of her music as like musical studies for her students. So it's, it's not that complex of a piece, but it's still got cool things happening in it. And basically it's, you know, this young woman her lover isn't there and what's happened to him, you know, and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, in typical dramatic fashion, she sits down to spin her wool, but it, it breaks and, oh, I can't do it today. I'm just, it's too much, it's too much pain. <laughs> then, and then it just escalates, you know, and she says, well, if he doesn't show up and he leaves me, then I'll burn down the village. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a fun piece. Yes, yes. So we chose Hi Luli. And the interesting thing about this piece is that we recorded it in isolation, quote unquote. So Suzanne and I talked about musical ideas and tempi and, and breaths and all these things. And then she recorded a track. And then I recorded it with hers playing in my ear. And we've, yes. we've, we're learning so much in this process. It's, it's so many things you take for granted, you know, when you're actually in the room with the person. <laughs> Oh, I know. But it's, it's a perfect, not perfect recording. But I, I, I really enjoy the piece and I, I hope that your listeners enjoy it too.
I'm sure that they will. And it's so wonderful that you ventured into the technical side of things, doing work together, but remotely. And as you say, such a learning curve to mm -hmm. have to figure all of that stuff out, the, the sound aspect, and there's no more opportunity for the pianist to wait for you to take your breath. Right. <laughs> the pace and that's the pace so you, you have to really be flexible and able to just manage along with that so mm. fantastic I'm sure everybody will be very happy to hear it and I for one enjoyed your podcast on pa Pauline Viardot and thought that that story was wonderful about the spinning <laughs> wheel and then burning yeah. around the village yeah. so yeah we I mean to be fair, there's like eight verses in the original poem and she took them out. So oh. it, it, it doesn't have the natural progression of, of the poem, <laughs> but. <laughs> I wonder if she may have been inspired by the Schubert piece. Gretchen, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what I, that's what I think. That's I'm not sure of the timing, but it did remind me of that as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be interesting to dig into mm -hmm. a little bit more. So, wow, well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about with regard to your podcast or your work with Suzanne? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. But we invite you all to listen to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I will definitely put a plug in there on my podcast page on Facebook and tell everybody about it and spread it around for you. Thank you. Too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Daniela, it's been wonderful speaking with you today and hearing more about your background and where you came from and all of those things. <laughs> I, I think it's fantastic to hear everybody's unique story. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what, that's what makes you such a unique musician. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. And th that's what I enjoy about your podcast as well. Just there's so many different stories out there and you never, you never get it in a little program bio, you know, it's no, just, no. it's not the same. No, the bio is one thing, but also to hear the story delivered by that person's voice specifically, you're hearing the person and learning so much more about who they really are mm -hmm. as an artist and a, and a person. So yeah, thank you very, very much again. It's my pleasure. Thank you.
You have been listening to mezzo-soprano Daniela Terezia and pianist Suzanne Yeo with their recording of Viardot's Hi Luli. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Classical Voice Canada. Thank you.